Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What is up, my friends? How are you? Hope you all out there crushing it, having a great week. Let me be the first one to wish you a happy October. I hope September treated you wonderfully. And thank you so much for once again starting your month with here with us. Uh, in case you have no idea what this is, this is the second episode of the MMA Fighting Rankings Show. I'm Sean Oshadi, and I'm joined here by my good pal. He's the happiest man I know. Some people call him the Prince of Positivity. He is Alexander K. Lee. And AK, we are back, my man. And what a month it was. September has come and gone. There is plenty to discuss. How you feeling? Sean, of course I'm happy. I'm definitely positive. Always happy, first and foremost, to be working with you, chatting with you, with all the good people of the uh, of the interwebs, you know, listening to this podcast. Uh, and I love talking. If there's anything I love in MMA, it's weigh-ins. People know this about me. You love weigh-ins. Matchmaking. Matchmaking. Love matchmaking. And I love rankings. I do love talking about rankings because it involves, you know, I mean, a, a comparing fighters, which is always fun and, and really digging into the, what the fights mean. And of course, math. So I am I am very happy to be here. Math and rules. You want to get AK excited? You talk about oh, math or you talk rules. about rules? Yeah, of course. Rules, obviously rules. <laughs> Hashtag rules, rules, you know? Hashtag you rules, know how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so in case you guys missed the first episode of this, this is actually our once a month look at the MMA Fighting Global Rankings. First Wednesday of every month, it is our chance to inject just a little bit of transparency into the process. Really bring you inside, let you inside, and let you know what we're thinking when we make some of these decisions on these rankings that come out every month. Uh, and so, AK, later in the, on in the show, we're going to be joined by two of our fellow ranking panelists, Damon Martin and Mike Heck. Uh, and we're going to tackle the biggest debates of the September ranking cycle. It's probably going to get a little heated, but, you know, friendships may be ruined. But I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> well, first, though, AK, let's spend a little me and you time here with the people. We're going to go a quick three rounds. We're going to hit the yes. biggest movers and shakers of September. And so, AK, let's start here. Round number one. It was a weird month uh, because you had loads and loads of ranked fighters competing, probably the most we've had in any one month cycle so far, but not actually a lot of surprises, right? Of the, of the 17 fights featuring ranked fighters this month that ended with some type of definitive ending, meaning Kevin Holland is out of this, of those 17, 14 of them ended with the higher ranked fighter beating the lower ranked fighter and holding onto their spot. So it was a busy month, but also didn't leave us with a ton of movement. So I throw it to you. What was the most important or meaningful result for you in terms of the rankings this past month? 
Yeah, look, look, there was, as you're saying, there was so much potential for movement. We could have had a new featherweight champion. Uh, we could have had uh, the heavyweight and light heavyweight divisions get shaken up a bit. Uh, women's flyweight, if some of the results have gotten a certain way, that division could have been turned upside down. Uh, we also could have had a new uh, women's flyweight champion as well. So, yeah, there are a lot of potential for movement. As you said, really almost uh, none of the uh, higher ranked fighters uh, took the upset. However, one big one. And this is a lot of big, uh, big movement on my part. I, I have a feeling some people might have had uh, the man I'm about to mention ranked pretty highly already. But one Mr. Marab Davalashvili may be maybe the hottest fighter at 135 pounds. What I think has been the best division uh, in MMA for the last maybe the last couple of years, 18 months. And lightweight, tradition, always great answer. I think 135 is so hot right now. Muy caliente. And uh, Marab Davalashvili really has been right there. Um, after bouncing back from like a couple of weird losses like early in his um, UFC career, he's shown why he's been like this highly touted wrestling machine prospect. Everything you would want. He's an improving striker. He's everything you would want in a in a uh, a prospect, and he's certainly living up to it. Biggest test for him, Marlon Moraes, a guy who actually I, I picked to win. I thought Marlon was just a bit a bit too big, not too big of a test, but just a good fighter who would be, who would beat uh, Marab. But uh, super exciting fight back and forth, and uh, Marab really showing his grit and how dangerous he is once he's able to start like really put it on putting on people and going downhill. Man, he looks I mean, he looks like a future champion. And for me personally, in my rankings uh, was the biggest jump. Um, I had him outside of the it looks like I had him outside of the top 10. Uh, and now he takes uh, Marlon Marais' spot comfortably uh, in, in the top 10. <laughs> I have to say, I didn't expect us to start with Marab, but I think you're right. OK, I actually think you're right. Obviously, there are bigger fights in September that we saw in terms of meaningful fights, but just in terms of pure rankings, this was, I think my biggest jump too. And it's funny because this was really the moment we've been waiting for with Marab, right? Like this was the gut check moment. This was the test. And you look at our eight person panel, the rankings coming into this month really reflected that, yep. right? Mm -hmm. He was sitting outside of the top 10 or, or kind of just on that periphery of the top 10 for, I think a lot of people in our rankings panel. And it's one of those things where, you mentioned the early losses that he suffered in his UFC career. I think sometimes these prospects, when they suffer these kind of losses, especially when they're weird losses in retrospect, right? Like you look at the Frankie Sines split decision loss and the one to Ricky Simone where it's this last second submission that a one in a thousand type of result that you'll never be able to replicate. Those type of things, sometimes it feels to me, can stay with a prospect longer than they should and really drag this sort of road out longer than it should. And we saw it with Marab. He, he, he took him six fights to be able to get a real opportunity like this. But this was it. This was the one, right? Like you're coming in there against Marlon Marias. This is your gut check moment. And not only that, you're coming in there against a desperate Marlon Marias, a Marlon Marias who has never been in deeper, darker need of a win in his whole entire MMA career. And Marab not only succeeded, aced this test with flying colors, but I mean, man, he was out there overcoming all kinds of adversity. And he's there now, right? Like he is in this conversation now. Well, the, the kind of the shame of it is that uh, he'd be calling for a title shot right now if his best bud in the whole world, Aljamain Sterling, wasn't technically still the champion. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with the interim situation with uh, Sanhagen and Jan. I'm sure the UFC, if there, if there's any more setbacks with Aljamain Sterling as far as like him being able to compete soon, if it's like, oh, he won't be able to compete till next summer. I mean, that title is going to get stripped real quick. They'll be very happy to anoint the Sanhagen-Yan winner as the, as the undisputed champion and just move on. And in that case, 
Marab is very close. I mean, again, if that happens, he's going to be maybe he'll probably have to take another fight. But right after that, guarantee calls for the winner of the of the Jan Sterling fight. Um, uh, and uh, you know, uh, in, in that way, he avoids that sort of at least for now that sort of interference with his pal, um, Aljamain Sterling. I do wonder if at some point down the road, if it is for a world title, they would agree to fight. But it's certainly it's something, a tricky situation. It's a really it's a, tricky situation. Neither guy has. I mean, they said they're everyone has seen it. they're super close. They've never even said any chance that they're going to fight each other. But a year from now, who knows? But it, it seems like this is actually best for Davalashvili, uh, Aljo temporarily being taken out of the title picture, and maybe one of his rivals. Uh, ends up having to fight Marab instead. So it's it's it is funny um how how that might work out. So I think he's a lot closer than some people might think. I have him at number seven this month. You had him at number six. And overall for our team, he is now number seven. So he is right there. You look at the guys above him. It's a Jose Aldo, it's a Rob Font, Corey Sanhagen, TJ Dillashaw, and then of course the two guys, Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling. So there is not a lot of wiggle room left for Marab. He is one fight away, as you said, from really being in that conversation in full. And then I think it's going to be really Interesting to see how this whole relationship with Aljo plays out, because who knows whether Aljamain's going to have to drop the title? Who knows whether Aljamain's going to be able to be help, healthy enough to come back? And I mean, he's already beaten Corey Sanhagen pretty convincingly. So this whole this whole division might get even messier uh, before it gets cleaner. And Marab might be part of that. But I agree with you, man. That to me felt like the most significant jump that anyone made this month. Let's move on and let's hit round number two. And let's talk about the big boys here. For a second, AK, uh, the heavyweight division has always been, at least historically, the last 10 years or so, right? It, it is a division of old men. It is a division uh, very devoid of interesting prospects. You, you get one, you get a Francis Ngannou coming along every once in a while. But for the most part, it's a lot of the same names that have been there for a long time. And I think that feels like that is starting to slowly change. And two men in particular made, I would, I was going to say sizable leaps, but I would, I think that's probably too much, but they made leaps this month and we have been watching them slowly rise up the rank. Chris Dawkins, Tom Aspinall, uh, Chris Dawkins moving from number 10 into the top, or I'm sorry, from number 11 into the top 10 this month. And Tom Aspinall moving from 13 to 12. Dawkins, among our team was as high as number eight for some people and as low as number 14, Tom Aspinall as high as 11 and as low as 15. But it's an interesting case when you look at both of them, right? Because both are four and oh in the UFC, both have four finishes, both have been dominant in their fights so far. Their progress has been gradual, but it does feel as if they are both really sitting on that precipice right now where they're going to have to be thrown into these big time fights or something. And, and, and that kind of leads into a very different strategies these two men are taking, right? That's part of this because Chris Dawkins out here, he's already booked against Derek Lewis. He's making that leap. It's, it's happening for him right now. Whereas Tom Aspinall, he's taking really more of the slow road. He has been very vocal about how he doesn't want those fights yet. He doesn't feel like he's ready for it. He'd rather just continue on this path that he's on and take on, you know, these very slow rising uh, or take a slow rise rather than a fast one. Two questions for you, AK. One, do we have this right at the moment where Dawkins is a couple spots ahead of Tom Aspinall? Does that feel right? And also, whose future do you feel like you're higher on? Oh, I mean, look, I think I think the answer is pretty clear, clear, pretty clearly different for both those questions. So I I I would have Dawkins ahead of Aspinall, as I think most of us do. I think if you just look at the strength of competition, let's go the last two fights uh, to Aspinall, Sergei Spivak, another young gunner, by the way, at heavyweight, who actually is is pretty promising, um, who just hasn't uh, had the same success as as Aspinall and Dawkins and uh, Andrzej Orlovsky, who. 
it's still a quality win, but as we said, is part of that past generation of heavyweights. Now, uh, I I might be contradicting myself because if we look at Christakis now, we've got Alexei Olenek, who's definitely part of the past generation of heavyweights, and uh, Shamil Abdurahimov, who actually is a really nice win because I think before his stretch of inactivity, I think he would have been in most of our top tens uh, if we had been doing rankings when he was, you know, before he went on a, on a little break, unfortunately, for inju- I, I injuries. I think Shamil, yeah. Shamil is probably the best win of any of either there of these two go. men right now. Right. That's a that's a that's a top ten. win. I would also I would think most people would have have Olenek uh, ranked higher than Arlovsky. I'm not saying either guys in the top 15, but I think if people were keeping their independent rankings. Olenek would probably be higher ranking. So I give him the edge. I give uh, Dawkins the edge in that one, too. So I I definitely have him ahead. I think most people would. And and I think that's sensible. Uh, I'll tell you uh, on our uh, Mike and I, our uh, Mike Heck and I, our matchmaking show on to the next one. Everyone was calling for Dawkins and Lewis like right away, like two days before it was actually made. Like I, I thought it was too soon. Everyone was calling for it. I think I assume Dawkins himself had had mentioned it, and maybe that's why people were saying it. Um, but there you go. So we'll see. He's putting his money where his mouth is. Uh, Aspinall has been very careful, and uh, to answer your second question, I do see a brighter future for him. Uh, Tom Aspinall. He's a little bit younger, and I do like his kind of strategy where he's like, I'm just looking at. The, I'm, he's literally looking at the UFC's rankings and going, "Who's next?" And I think, literally I think like he, one spot above him. Like I think he was like Augusto, Augusto Sakai. I think he's like last time. He's like, oh, I beat Sergey Spivak. He's like, okay, Augusto Sakai next. There you go. Check it off. And that might not be the most exciting thing for fans. Like I'm sure, like I said, Dawkins is much uh, higher in the radar right now. But that's a very cool way to do it. And if he can keep finishing people and building him up, himself up that way, he's only 28. And he's only, it'll be his 14th pro bout, whoever he fights next. So this is a smart guy. If you can afford to have the UFC not push you at a pace that they prefer and you can do it at your own way tom aspinall more power to you so i'll give him the edge in, in futures it's a tricky thing right especially in the it, it in all divisions it's a tricky thing but i think in particular at heavyweight it is a very very precarious road that you travel if you're a young prospect because we've seen it, it's happening right now with with chris dawkins he is very young into his career he's very young into his ufc career and he's already being thrown in against i think a guy who all of us have ranked as the number four heavyweight in the world. So there, there is no long road unless you really force the issue, right? Because otherwise we've seen this with all heavyweight prospects. Cyril Gaon getting thrown in there pretty much right away. Same with Francis Ngannou. You don't really get time to get your sea legs. You come into the UFC, you get a couple nice knockouts, and all of a sudden you're fighting a Curtis Blades or a Cyril Gaon or an Alexander Volkov. It's it's a, it's a tough... I'd say it's it, it, there's positives and negatives to it because certainly you have chance for very quick advancement like we saw with Cyril, but then you have situations like you know Francis Ngannou who comes up too soon, too quickly, and then he gets forced back to this road where I would actually maybe that's not even a good comparison. I would say Jarzino Rosenstruck's probably sure. is a good comparison because he came, yeah comes up is one I'd bring up as too well. quickly, and then all of a sudden you find yourself drowning among these monsters who have just been here for a mm-hmm. long time. I honestly can't remember the last time we've seen a prospect like Tom Aspinall be so vocal with this kind of approach. And I actually really like it because I agree with you in both senses. I I have Chris Dawkins ahead of Aspinall right now on my ballot as well. But I kind of do favor Aspinall on the long road uh, in terms of his ceiling. I I feel like he does have a higher ceiling in this division. And it makes sense too, in a little bit of way, in a few ways, right? It's the Sean O'Malley thing of you're not paying me more to fight Derek Lewis than you would pay me to fight Augusto Sakai. So why should I fight Derek Lewis right now? Mm-hmm. There's no rush. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I respect it, man. Like I, I've, I've seen Tom get a lot of crap for this online. Really? I actually really respect the him being so vocal with this type of approach. 
I think I think he looks so much like Frank Mir. I think that he has somehow <laughs> absorbed Frank's sort of cerebral approach to, if any, you know, Frank Mir, probably one of the most well-spoken, thoughtful heavyweights uh, I, I think I've ever seen in, in the sport of MMA. And uh, I, I feel like some of that has rubbed off almost through through like doppelganger osmosis that has rubbed off on Tom Aspinall somehow, because, yes, he seems to have a level head on his shoulders. Uh, and again, if he can avoid any trap weird trap fights or fights that he shouldn't be taking i mean before the age of 30 we're talking again at a a guy who's almost guaranteed to at least fight for a uc title do you feel if you had to put an over under on it in terms of 1.5 title fights for these two guys combined in the in the next two years meaning both of them will have fought for the title within the two years Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. just one of them or zero of them would you go over under on that i'll go under i think only one of them is going to make it who do you think that would be, Dawkins? Just because the, say, the I'm, road right I'm now. Say, I well, so so I'm kind of giving away my my uh, Dawkins Lewis pick ahead of time here. I don't think he beats Lewis. I agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm picking Lewis, and I'm not saying what one loss Lewis will remove him from the title picture forever. I just feel like it's he'll take that, and then the UFC might still try and match him up with another top five, top six, top seven guy when it, he might be better served to again kind of go back to the lower tier of the uh, middle of the pack or lower part of the rankings. Uh, so I, I'm a little concerned for him. I'm glad he's getting the fight. I, I'm not questioning his choice to take the fight, by the way. Like I said, everyone seems to want it. If he thinks he's ready, it's great. If he wins, huge opportunity for him. But I just think uh, I think he doesn't uh, get past that. And and I and I and I've seen. I just feel like I've seen a little more from Aspinall. So I'll go, I'll go with Aspinall being the one to get it. I think I agree with you. It's just it's mm. so tough at heavyweight. Once you're swimming with the sharks, you you called it with Tai Tuivasa was a good example. Yarzino. Once you're swimming with the sharks, man, there's no going back, and it's it you can drown very very quickly once you're there. Uh, oh, can can we shout out another young heavy one more heavyweight under thirty? Yeah. Uh, Valent, uh, uh Bellator is interim cha- heavyweight champion Valentin, Valentin Moldovsky doesn't turn thirty until February. So heavyweights, we finally feels like we have a cluster of some youngsters who could actually like you know make a mark, and and maybe these would be the guys that we're kind of keeping an eye on for the next three or four years. And conveniently, Moldovsky, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but he is sandwiched between Dawkins and Aspinall right now at that number 11 spot. So there you go. 10, 11, 12 at heavyweight. We have this new crop coming up and it is really exciting. And I am excited to see where these men go. Last round, final round, round number three. And this will just be a quick one, more of a (laughs) follow-up to last month's show. Obviously, last month, we uh, spent quite a bit of time talking about the looming MMA fighting civil war that was brewing amongst the eight person panel, mainly because of one unnamed uh, rogue panelist, the rogue, we, panelist. The rogue yeah. panelist, as we have taken to calling him, who has decided who apparently through, you know, various uh, I, I can't explain his thought process. I can't. So he, I, I'm not going to try. He is to. not here. He is not here. I can explain. <laughs> should we should we just go just and a, say what's going on? here? A very quick cliff notes. Uh, essentially, we put in place that if you haven't fought within 18 months you're out of the rankings because we're trying to keep this moving we're not trying to have people hold on to their spot and etc etc he decided that because amanda nunez had not fought at bantamweight in 18 months that means she is now not the the number one bantamweight in the world which is obviously absurd insane whatever (laughs) adjective you want to throw in there because two reasons one amanda nunez has been has been fighting you know not quite frequently, but she has been fighting over the last 18 months. She she has a fight booked right now. She's been active. There's no reason to take her out of the rankings for inactivity, but also to the idea of anyone being the number one bantamweight in the world other than Amanda Nunes is certifiably insane, stupid. Again, throw in your choice of adjective. It made his decision. It made Jermaine Durandamy his number one ranked bantamweight. 
which just looks bad for all of us. If we're being <laughs> and Jermaine Durandamy is a great fighter. She's a great fight. She's accomplished so much in combat sports. I mean, if you want to like all time, she's probably one of the best ever in the in the brief you know history of MMA of uh, high level of professional MMA to compete at 135 pounds. I'm not going to argue that. We, we have nothing but respect here for the Iron Lady. She is not by any measure right now the best fighter at 135 pounds. That's just you, you don't even need ridiculous. to defend it. You don't need, like no, no, no. A, there's well, a correct his, position on this. As, as, you said, his, the, as you said, his interpretation of the 18 month rule was that, yes, she had not competed in a certain division. I don't know if we tweaked that after, but I, I, well, I thought it was understood that if someone was like a two division champion, obviously they're staying busy and fighting. They're still fighting. Yeah. And the other well, part of it is using is, common sense. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. The, the part that's not in the rules is, has anyone, you know, done something to to take in? The, let's, let's say you think the spot is, is vacant. Has anyone in that division done enough to take that spot? If there was some fighter in Amanda Nunez's absence, uh, some bantamweight, that had won like five straight fights and just knocking people out left and right, like essentially like the number one. Then we have a conversation. One, then we'd be like, okay, that's fair. Like, that's fair. I think I think Jermaine Durandamy has fought once uh, since Amanda Nunez's most recent bantamweight bout. So what? <laughs> so we don't need to relitigate it because the no, only no, reason no, no. that we bring it up is to provide you people some closure. Because obviously, yes. if you've seen the rankings right uh, today, the Wednesday's rankings, Amanda Nunes now has eight first place votes, as she yes. should. This issue has been resolved. It's been resolved in a very bizarre way. Apparently, <laughs> the fact that she has a fight booked uh, changed this this person's mind, and that was why he reverted back to her, <laughs> even though that was already a thing last month. It, I, it, the whole thing it felt like John, a fever I, dream. We had other people on the panel starting to agree <laughs> with this person. No, it was oh ridiculous. God. AK, all I want to ask you is your sanity restored now yes, that this and, is in and, order. And, and, yes, and I don't think it's just the rebooking of the Pena fight. I do think that this person heard us. I think they made their point about... Uh, maybe some holes in the ranking system and their issues with Nunez not competing at 135. I think they came to their senses as well. So not just the rebooking of the fight. I think they're like, okay, you're right. I've been heard. Let's move. Let's let's all move on. Let's all move on. <laughs> and we're all better for it. And let's leave it at that. And we will never, ever talk about <laughs> this whole chapter again. Uh, AK, we're going to take a quick break. That has been three rounds on the other side. A free for all is coming. Oh, goodness. Oh, my. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. We are back. Joining us now, two of the esteemed members of our rankings panel, Damon Martin, Mike Heck. Appreciate you joining us, gentlemen. So we have three main topics that we want to hit today. Really the three biggest debates that have sort of brewed over this past month uh, of MMA action. So let us start now first 
with the featherweights. It is a three-way game right now in featherweight land uh, after UFC 266. It already was, but UFC 266 has really, I would say, increased maybe the intrigue around this. Obviously, the three men, Alexander Volkanovsky, the UFC champion, he defends his belt last month with a nail-biter over Brian Ortega. Then, of course, Max Holloway, the people's UFC champion. Everyone knows where he's at. And then last but not least, AJ McKee, the undefeated Bellator champion, who's sort of ruining this this twosome we had brewing here. I think everyone with any shred of common sense would say that these three men are the three best featherweights in the world. Like that, that's S tier, A tier, whatever you want to say the top tier is. That's them. Everyone else is a total step below. But it is funny because I think there's a bunch of different ways you could look at this and rank these men. And even just among the four of us, gentlemen, we actually have three different permutations of rankings for these four. Uh, so if you don't mind me revealing them, AK and Mike, you have Volkanovsky one, Max two, AJ three, Damon, you have Volkanovsky one, AJ two, and Max three. And I'm I'm the loser out here with Max Holloway still at number one, Alexander Volkanovsky number two, and AJ at three. Of these three, let's start here, because obviously I'm the only weirdo to not rank Alexander Volkanovsky number one. I'm actually not alone there. There's one other panelist on our squad who has Max at number one, uh, but he's at least on this, not on this pod, and so on this a rogue, pod. A rogue panelist, you might say. <laughs> we said we wouldn't name names, but he's becoming infamous for anyone who listens to this show and some of our other shows. A rogue panelist, that's all we'll say. I, I wish he was here, because right now I feel like John Jon Snow just unsheathing, I can't speak, <laughs> Jon Snow unsheathing his sword against the coming horde right now. Um, Damon, Mike, AK, I know we're all basking in this afterglow of Alexander Volkanovsky's mm-hmm. performance, but am I crazy to still have Max at number one, or do I have a bit of a case here? I think I think at this point you're a slight bit crazy, and I don't think you're I don't think you're totally off the off the rails. The only reason I say that is, is I think rankings are always based upon recency bias. You know what you've done most recently, and in Alexander Volkanovsky's case, he just went out there and beat another top five ranked guy in Brian Ortega. So for now, I think he really has solidified his spot. I've said I think AJ McKee, you know, in my opinion, is probably the best featherweight in the sport in terms of talent. I think. He could beat Volkanovski and Holloway if ever given the chance. Will we ever see that? I don't know. But based upon wins and losses of what they've done recently, I think Volkanovski's win over Brian Ortega puts him and solidifies him at number one. Now, if AJ, you know, goes out and, and you know, gets a big you know, featherweight fight, which unfortunately in Bellator, I don't know how much that's going to boost him, considering he already beat the highest ranked guy he could with Patricio Pitbull, but hypothetically there. And then, of course, you got Max coming up against Jair Rodriguez in November. Hypothetically, if he goes out there and just, you know, assassinates Jair Rodriguez, Again, you could have an argument, well, his win would trump what Volkanovski did. So I think right now Volkanovski is number one and solidified at number one because he just fought and just won a big fight. I think you're insane, Sean. I think you're nuts. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, and I and I know, like, in one of the rounds, we're gonna have we're gonna basically reverse this conversation and and pour it all on me. But Volkanovski not only just beat Brian Ortega, but he has two wins over Max Holloway. One was clear, utter. Like, th- th- there's no question that he won. The first one was all Volkanovski. There's no argument to be made. The second one, yeah, I guess if you want to argue it, but. I, I highly recommend anybody listening to this. If you still feel that Max Holloway was outright robbed in July of last year when they fought, I highly recommend you go back and watch that fight again because I think you're going to have a totally different tale. Watch that fight multiple times 
And you will see that Alexander Volkanovsky, not, and I don't want to steal shine from Jed Mishu. He doesn't say a lot of intelligent things, but one thing that was very intelligent that he said <laughs> was Jed that, with the drive-by. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love Jed. I played golf with him the other day. But Volkanovsky, in his ability to make in-fight adjustments, especially after losing the first two rounds to Max Holloway, is just nothing short of impressive. It really is amazing. And I, like, going through these rankings, I, I actually was pondering whether to rank Volkanovsky higher on the pound for pound list. That's how good I think he is right now. I think far and away, he is the best featherweight in the world. Like I understand that him and Makir, if they fight, it won't be for a long time down the road. But right now, how can you have anybody else but Alexander Volkanovsky in that number one spot? So I think, I love you, Sean, but I think you're a little crazy. I think you are a little crazy. Far and away, far really, Mike. Far and away, the best. Fe- Sean, let me go ahead. Sean, go, let go me, ahead, AK. No, let me. Believe it or not, I almost maybe just to make this even. I'm kind of going to defend again. I'm a firm. Uh, Volkanovski should be number one, but I'll uh, and I don't mean to step on some of the points, which I'm sure you're going to bring up. I'm kind of. He, he, I will play devil's advocate here and kind of understand where you're coming from. Uh, Holloway probably the stronger resume so far. Uh, if you want to make that case, absolutely. Okay. Second fight, very close. As you said, Volkanovski pretty clearly won the first. Not a most exciting fight, pretty clearly. Second fight, very close. Uh, Holloway had, I would say, the most significant strikes of the fight. The knockdown around one, the knockdown around two. But then I think the last three, I would say Volkanovski won uh, four and five comfortably, three super close. So I have no problem with that. That's why Volkanovski is my number one. I, I felt like he won both fights. Uh, the other thing is, and this is kind of, I'm going to break out some MMA anecdotes or anecdotal evidence mm anecdotal evidence i don't know <laughs> the, the, the uh the cousin the often overlooked cousin of uh mma math uh because if you want to look at it you could say holloway dominated ortega in their five-round fight which there we you go. and i there we go Sean, you and i you and i were at in, in toronto um that was in toronto am i crazy yeah that no, happened yeah, right it was that's a real thing I, I remember it was the only time i think you and i have got to cover an event together so really the greatest moment of my life and uh <laughs> holloway dominated him for five rounds ortega was very close to finishing Volkanovski in the third fight. Uh, and again, for me, that's a credit to Volkanovski. Again, this is for, I would say I love that he had to fight back from adversity and put on this classic fight. But I understand if you're just comparing how the two guys beat Ortega, that's another sort of feather in, in Holloway's cap. Let me defend my honor here. Please go for ahead, a second. Sean. I feel very attacked, but under, I understand why I'm being attacked. But I, you're wrong. All of you guys are wrong, and this is the only time okay. I will ever say the rogue panelist is correct on anything, because this is the one, the only thing that I agree with him in the whole world in right now, because you just look at the facts, right? Look at the resumes, just very quickly. Alexander Volkanovsky, he's been great. He's been spectacular in the UFC. What are his best wins? It's Jose Aldo by decision. It's this Brian Ortega fight where guts through it, crazy fight, one of the best fights of the year, but he almost loses twice. And then he has that one clear win over Max. Max's best wins. You got There is a long list here, but I'm not even going to go through them. But the, if just even comparison's sake, Jose Aldo twice, both of which brutal KOs, didn't go to decision. Brian Ortega, brutally one-sided. I mean, AK, as you said, we were at that fight, and that was just a... It was almost gross how bad Brian Ortega was beaten by the end of that fight. And then this last fight over Alexander Volkanovsky, where I understand Max didn't actually get... The scorecard, but the way we have been working within these rankings, I mean, Damon, we talked about this last month with Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw. Sometimes you just see things that you disagree with with your eyes and you kind of have to trust your eyes. If you look at MMADecisions.com on that Max Holloway Volkanovsky rematch, 
not 64% of the fan scoring on MMADecisions.com scored that fight for Max Holloway. 18 of the 27 media scores on MMADecisions.com scored that fight for Max Holloway. Our own website that we all love so very much scored that fight 48-47 for Max Holloway. To me, there is justification and reason for saying that Max should have won that fight. In my eyes, he was the winner of that fight. Then you add in what came before and what came after the Calvin Cater fight. Frankie Edgar's on the resume. Charles Oliveira, the matter and the method of all these wins. To me, you can only go off of what we got. And for me, I know Volk has that one very clear win over Max. But Max, in my eyes, has the most recent win over Alexander Volkanovsky. And then he has the better resume, too. And that, to me, is simple. It says he's the better fighter. So if the Red Sox lose to the so if the Yankees lose to the Red Sox tonight, just because they which, have which they the most, which, which they won't, just to, because they to, have the most catch world, yourself, way to catch yourself, just there, because Mike. they have, <laughs> and I know we're recording this on a Tuesday, just because the Yankees have more championships, that gives them a boost in the overall MLB rankings. Like I, I don't understand. Like I, I, I get where I don't you're know coming how that from. Comparison works though, right? Why you're you're comparing Max's? You're saying Max's resume. We're we're comparing resumes. We're talking about right now. Sure. In October of 2021, what Max did five years ago is great, and it leads to a Hall of Fame discussion but doesn't lead to where he's ranked right this second in 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 time in this time like what Volkanovsky did he's the number one guy he has two wins over Holloway now no matter how you slice it you could score it hard you could go and go back to MMA decisions and look at how the fans view things and I I take the fan percentage I don't take put a whole lot of weight in that because we saw how Volkanovsky was sort of booed out of the building in Las Vegas and certain fans view Volkanovsky a certain way. So some of that may be a little unjustified, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it's, you can't really compare what happened in the last five years to w- where they're at right now is the point I'm trying to make. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, and listen, when you talk about, I, I, I think recency bias has to be most important in rankings. So in that regard, Mike, I absolutely agree. You can't necessarily say what they did five years ago should play a part in how we're ranking them now because, you know, five, six years ago, Volkanovsky, I don't believe he was even in the UFC. So you can't really rank that. Uh, but you have to go by recency, and I think that's why I put Volkanovsky number one currently because he has the most impressive wins currently. He does have one no one would argue one legitimate win over Max Holloway. The rematch was very close. Now, I scored it for Max Holloway, but I didn't think it was necessarily a robbery. It wasn't like at the end of the fight where I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they scored it wrong. Unlike, let's say, Corey, excuse me, Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw, where I actually thought that was far more egregious. I thought Corey Sanhagen clearly won that fight, and the judges just completely blew it. Uh, in the, in the Holloway Volkanovski rematch, I think that was close enough to where I could say, okay, I could see it. I thought Max won, but to to to, to Sean's point, that's kind of what we're talking about here. If we just go by resume, if we just go by what the judges say, then there's going to be a lot of arguments about fights being scored and how fights actually get results because we all know the judges screw things up constantly in this sport. So I have no problem problem with Sean believing that Max beat Volkanovski the second time but to me that just evens the score they're 1-1 and then since then yes I will say the win over Calvin Cater was incredibly impressive it was but Calvin Cater's always been a top seven top eight guy he's never been a top five legit featherweight in the world whereas Brian Ortega is Brian Ortega is there with the win over Korean Zombie coming back with the Max Holloway fight he was legitimately a top five guy and yes he had a couple of close moments in that third round but the, the scores were all 
ultimately still 50-45, 49-46. I mean, it's pretty, you know, at the end, it was a great fight, and, and Ortega's toughness and durability has to be celebrated. But outside of those two submission attempts in the third round, he, he wasn't that in the fight. So Volkanovski beating him still matters, and that's why Volkanovski's number one for me. But to defend Sean a little bit, I can understand why you're saying that Max beat him the second time, so that's why you're scoring him ahead. I just think since then, if you, if you rate them evenly after two fights, let's say they each won one, after that, you got to see what they've done. I think Volkanovski's win over Ortega is bigger than Max's win over Cater. I love that. I love would that you thinking. not argue that Max beat Brian Ortega much more impressively? He did. It was a very lopsided fight. Absolutely, it was. But again, but since then, he's now had the win and loss with, with Volkanovski if we're just going to play by scoring. I, yes, I agree. I scored Holloway winning the second fight as well. So if it's 1-1, it's tied, then you know, hopefully we're going to see a third fight and we can all, you know, at that point, hopefully agree you know, who is the best in the world. But until then, uh, I think you got to go by, okay, those two fights kind of cancel each other out. And I would argue Volkanovski's first win over Max was far more impressive because he actually did win a pretty lopsided decision, whereas the second one, the rematch, was much closer. And then you have the two fights since then. Again, I think as good as Calvin Cater is, I think he's great. He's not a top five guy. Brian Ortega is. So that, to me, is why you put Volkanovski ahead of him. This, think, is, this is strong stuff. Sean, are you, are you wavering? No, are you wavering I'm, not, at all? I'm not wavering because ultimately <laughs> what, it, what it comes down to for me is I feel like Max won the second fight, and I feel like if they fought a third time, Max would win. And it would be more decisive than that second fight. And ultimately, uh, that's what it comes down to, right? Is well, who do you believe in your heart to be the best featherweight in the world? And to me, the evidence, at least right now, points to Max Holloway. But I know I'm sort of alone on an island there. In Did, your heart. In your heart. My eyes Wait, and my heart. These, Let me say these that. These rankings are the product of math, Sean. You know that. You know, <laughs> you and I, Fred, a little inside baseball here. Sean and I kind of do the math. Sean does some math. I help double check the math. This is a, this is a scientific process to this. Heart. I did not know heart factored into it because I well actually well I've, you know well, I'm sure I know there's other parts of the show where I, I've probably slipped in and it has factored in but theoretically this is a show about math and that's why people tune in. <laughs> you should never don't tell my teachers that from high school because they would never believe you that I'm hosting a show about math that would make no sense. <laughs> if, it, if it makes you feel any better and you want to get controversial, I think AJ McKee is the best featherweight in the sport. He just doesn't have the resume. Oh, right. So I was actually about to turn this on. You, David. So I'm glad you brought that up because of these three, my my position may be a tiny bit egregious, but I feel like a lot of people would probably agree with me as well. I find your position, Damon, to be the most egregious and probably the most surprising. You're the only one here among us to have Max ranked at number three. How on earth is Max Holloway the third best featherweight in the world? Please defend yourself. Two words, A.J. McKee. That's it. Look at A.J. McKee, the guy, when you look at what he's done, he's gone out there and beaten everyone he's faced. He's never had a remotely close fight. Now, you could argue and say, well, he hasn't faced the best talent in the world. Okay, I, I'll give you that a little bit because he's not in the UFC. But I think we get so stuck in UFC bias and, and who we believe are the best guys in the world. Are, are we going to say that Patricio Pitbull came to the UFC, he couldn't make waves at featherweight or lightweight? Are we saying he's not that talented? I think A.J. McKee comes in day one, and he is that talented. And we've seen it throughout time with strike force and WEC and guys and girls coming into the UFC and making waves from other promotions just because they're not in the UFC 
doesn't mean they're not great. And AJ McKee has been untouchable. He has not even had a remotely close fight. He has gone out there and beaten the brakes off of everyone he's faced. And then when you go out there and do what you did to Patricio Pitbull, who everyone believed, you know, based on him being the double champ and the run he had been on, everyone had him pretty highly ranked in the featherweight division to go out and beat that guy in like 70 seconds or whatever it was. I don't see how you can't rank that. I'm not saying that Volkanovski and Holloway aren't great. They're absolutely great. But when you look at what AJ McKee has done, this undefeated run he's been on, the fact that he's had no one even remotely close to his talent level, and then going out there and just put on, putting on a blistering performance against Patricio Pitbull, that's why I have him ranked number two. I don't have him ranked number one because I do believe Volkanovski has the more overall impressive resume right now. It's not a knock on Max Holloway. I think Max Holloway is, you know, I think Max Holloway and AJ are right there neck and neck, but I can't put both of them at number two. So I put AJ at number two because once again, his more impressive win recently, knocking out and dismantling, uh, you know, Patricio Bitbull in whatever it was, 70 seconds is more impressive to me than Max Holloway going out and winning a five round decision against Calvin Cater. AK Mike is putting one, a man with one high quality win over somebody like max holloway with the resume of max one, holloway is that insane one high quality win uh let me mike go ahead take this i'm gonna look up i gotta look at aj's record now um i mean i i don't think he's like i, I think he and i'm probably gonna get blasted for this i Ooh. think he's less insane than having holloway ranked above volkanovsky what? how about that how about that what? how about that yikes I mean, I think the idea of Max Holloway is the third best featherweight in the world. I don't like, listen, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it, but I'm just, I'm I'm just throwing that out into the world. Like I listen to, when I listen to you talk about why you ranked Holloway above Volkanovsky, like part of me wanted to like jump through the computer screen and just be like, what are you talking about, man? He's got two wins over him. But listen to Damon, like at first I was like, I had like one foot ready to go. And then like I sat back down in my chair. I'm like, you know what? He makes some pretty good points there. And the, the the thing that hurts AJ, much like Damon said, is like the strength of schedule. The Patricia Pipple win is massive. And that boosts his stock like a whole lot. And I think the win over Pipple is a better win than the Calvin Cater win. And I'm a big Calvin Cater fan. Why I think do we he's keep I going think he's back really to good Calvin fighter. Cater as if Max Holloway hasn't destroyed <laughs> Brian Ortega recently and like all these other things. <laughs> that was names. three years ago. That was three what years it? ago. What, what is it? Who cares? What do you mean? It's different so, it's guy. Like different two guy. fights ago for Brian Ortega. Different team, different <laughs> guy. <laughs> Didn't break his hand in the has, first 15 seconds of the fight. You know, different, he different fighter. Two lo- he, he also has two losses to Volkanovski since fighting Brian Ortega. Well, we're going to get to it later, but there's a certain someone who Mike has ranked ahead of a certain someone who has two wins over her. So, you know. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a hypothetical question? Damon, can I ask a hypothetical question? Now I'm sure. curious. A lot has to happen for this to unfold, obviously. But I think we're all expecting Volkanovski and Holloway to fight a third time. Holloway, of course, has a capacity a year. And by the way, we, I'm sure he'll be like a three to four to one favorite. Weirder things have happened in MMA than a, a guy as good as a year, like random, you know, landing some random, uh, like spinning strike or something on Max. And, and you know, we could this could be like a, a Uriah Hall Musasi one situation, right? It, it could happen. It could happen. I, I certainly wouldn't bet on it. But let's say Holloway beats him. Uh, and then sets up a third fight with Volkanovski. Let's say in this time, McKee maybe fits a title defense in there, another dominant title defense. If Holloway beat Volkanovski in the trilogy, um, Damon, would you then put Holloway back at number one and flip their spots? Or would McKee jump to number one? Uh, Vulcan, Holloway beating Volkanovski would 100% put him number one. Doesn't matter, how, again, we did because- it, doesn't matter how the fight goes, though. 
Well, no, because here's the thing. Again, it's about I, I keep saying it's recency bias because that's mm-hmm. how rankings work. You know, mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, in college football right now, even though they lost to Oregon, I think the Ohio State University, yes, oh, I'm geez. biased. The Ohio State University <laughs> is better than Michigan and Penn State, who are well, ranked really higher low than bar them. there. Listen, but guys. The thing is, but the reality is, the reality is, Ohio State lost to Oregon. As much as I hate it, they did lose to Oregon. So right now they're ranked lower than two undefeated teams above them, even though I think they would beat both undefeated teams, and I think they will this season. But it matters on what happens on the field, or in this case, in the cage. And if Volkano- if Holloway can beat Volkanovski, even if it's a, a, another razor-close fight, that's the number one, in my opinion, the number one and number three guys fighting. You can't get there. AJ McKee is kind of stuck now. I mean, I'm not denying that. Like I put him in number two because of his entire, what he's the run he's been on and the big win over Patricio Pitbull. The fact that it was a 72nd, just obliteration. Uh, but he's stuck now because unless he goes and, and, and Bellator signs some other legit featherweights to come in and challenge him. And we don't even know if AJ is going to stay at featherweight at this point, but hypothetically, you know, does beating Emmanuel Sanchez, does beating, and that's not a knock on him, does beating, uh, you know, any of the other guys in the Bellator roster right now really boost him to where he could be number one? I don't think so. That's the problem AJ's going to run into now is I think number two is kind of where he tops out right now. So would he drop to three in that sort of the hypothetical situation? Would he drop to three or would just Holloway and Volkanovski would switch places? Again, it depends on when AJ, if AJ fights again right. and wins who, again. Who, if he, if who he fights, yeah. If he's How sitting are. out, if he's fighting at lightweight and AJ, excuse me, and Volkanovski and Holloway put on another instant classic and mm-hmm. Holloway wins, then yeah, AJ probably would get bumped back to number three. He's number two for me right now, again, based on recency bias. Now, if Holloway goes out there and just, completely dismantle Jair Rodriguez. It's not a fight. It's just a, a one-sided, just, you know, steamroll. There's a good chance I might rank Holloway above AJ because again, hmm. recency bias, because even as impressive as AJ was against Patricio, Max doing that to another top five, <laughs> top six guy ranks him ahead of that. Well, again, I, love this AJ, idea. I love this idea that Max Holloway needs to prove himself right now. Well, no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I it's get it. I get it, though. But here's the thing. and Like I said, AJ is kind of stuck now. I don't know. He I mean, he it, really it, he's, he's stuck because there's nobody else. There's good fighters in Bellator. There's legitimately good fighters in Bellator in the featherweight division, but... He already beat the best guy, beat the brakes off of him. There's not really a, a higher bar to set for him, unfortunately. So let's keep it moving. You you bring up Bellator. We've been talking about Bellator. The next oh, one, topic. One, we one more thing, Sean. One more thing. We need to right. have a rule next time we have uh, Mike and or Damon on. No Buckeyes talk. No Red Sox talk. <laughs> no, none of these others. No. no and and I, I could bring up the Toronto Raptors or Sean could bring up the Phoenix Suns. But let us. You guys get one. That was one. Please, no more. <laughs> you know it's on a video show. <laughs> I know you're wearing a Red Sox hat. I can feel it. I'm wearing a shirt. I'm wearing oh, a jersey. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Sean, continue. Let's, let's move on. We're talking about Bellator. That the, the topic of Bellator really embodies our second topic here. MVP versus Douglas Lima. Or really, we should call this, how do you rank a controversial result? Because this fight caused some of the biggest jumps of the entire month. And it also became sort of one of low key, the biggest points of contention within the team, because you look at Michael page, obviously he wins this split decision. It seemed to be a very controversial decision. I actually scored it for page in the moment. I was, I'm somewhat confused by a lot of the outrage, but you know, it was a close fight. People scream robbery at anything at this point. I get it. Um, he, Michael page was as ranked as high as number eight by someone on our team and as low as number 13. So a decent bit of rage there, but generally around top 10, uh, the periphery of the top 10. Douglas Lima, likewise, was as high as number four 
for one person and as low as unranked entirely for another. So this fight has us going wildly different directions uh, all across the team. How did you guys how do you guys just generally approach a situation like this when you're putting your list together where it's a result that is controversial and you don't really know how to feel about it afterwards? I think you go with the eye test, honestly. Um, I, and I'll just jump in first because I am one of those people who has Douglas Lima out of the top 15 now. You are actually um, the only person who has Douglas Lima out. <laughs> I am? Oh, you're, well, I'm, you're the he's only out of the top person 15. to not think Douglas Lima is a top 15 welterweight. Listen, if, if that fight did nothing really for me except the fact that Michael Page like got his hand raised. Like that's all it did. Like neither guy did a whole lot. I, I, at first watch, I scored it for Page going back. Like this was 1 million percent, not a robbery. And if you're saying that, then you're just not a fan of fighting and you don't know what you're watching. So I think Page, like I gave him like a slight bump up, but then I looked at just overall like what Douglas Lima has done in his last three fights and once in a while you you take a shot at greatness you you take a shot at doing something that not many people have done before him going up to 185 and fighting Gegard Mousasi and now had that fight not gotten bit with COVID and been delayed so far into the future like who knows how that fight would have gone who knows if the timing would have been better for Douglas Lima and we would be having a totally different conversation right now but Douglas Lima got humbled up in that fight by Gegard Mousasi he for some reason that just took the wind out of his sails and then going in there and fighting Yaroslav Amosov and I was there I was in the building I was just a few feet away watching Yaroslav Amosov take down Douglas Lima over and over and over again I was seated right behind Douglas Lima's corner watching him stand up and look at his coaches and just be like, what am I supposed to do with this? I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. The frustration on his face. I was just like, I don't know if this is the same guy anymore. I, I just don't know. And then him going in there against Michael Page and it was a close fight. He had his moments. He's, he's still got some, some stuff in there, but it just seems like that Musasi fight took a lot away from him. I, I don't know if it's mental or physical or if it's just like, the resume just building up and father time taking over. Like it happens to everybody. It's undefeated. So to me, like just looking down and going through some of the different welterweights in the world, I look at guys like Ray Cooper, the third and Daniel Rodriguez and Sean Brady. I'm like, can these guys beat Douglas Lima right now? And the answer to that question is yes, they can be Douglas Lima right now. And I would favor all of them to be Douglas Lima right now, just the way he's been looking. So that's how I look at it. It's the eye test. It's the eye test that I've been giving myself for the last nine, 10 months right now with Douglas Lima. So he goes back there, gets a high quality win. He can make him, he could get himself back up there, but kind of looking at some of these welterweight guys, some of these up and comers, I don't, I mean, I, I don't have him in my top 15 right now. I just can't put him in there. I, I agree with a lot of what Mike is saying in terms of the eye test and, and that fight, the, 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 the second fight between page and Lima was just demonstrably bad. It wasn't a good fight. I mean, anyone that says it was a great fight, you're lying to yourself. It was a bad fight. Michael page was looking out point him. Douglas Lima did a whole lot of nothing. That being said, I did score the fight for Douglas Lima. 
overall, I thought he did the better job. And, and round by round, I thought he won. I think I scored a 3-2, but it was close. It wasn't a robbery. I don't think people screaming robbery actually watched the fight. Or 2-1, two, two, I'm sorry, 2-1. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> five wish, rounds. 2-1, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> excuse me. 2-1, uh, Bellator. Uh, so, 2-1, but again, it wasn't a robbery. It was a close fight. The problem, and, and why I still have Douglas Lima ranked, and I actually don't have Michael Venom Page ranked at all, is because now Michael Venom Page has basically one win. He has Douglas Lehman. Now, that is a good win, but I don't consider it, again, much like the TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen, we, and again, my, uh, Sean with Max Holloway Volkanovsky. I don't really consider that. I mean, again, let's just call it a draw. It was not a good fight. I scored it for Douglas Lehman, but no one definitively won that fight. I, I refuse to believe you could definitively argue one guy over the other won that fight. So in that case, I kind of leave Lehman where he's at. And for me, Michael Venom Page still has to do more because when you look below uh, Douglas Lima, it's just, I mean, it, it looks like uh, just a, it's like a Campbell's soup uh, uh, commercial. It's just nothing but tomato cans. Uh, so don't oh. tell me that Michael Venom Page <laughs> has done more than enough to earn a higher ranking because uh, he hasn't. His one quality win is this one. And to me, it wasn't, it, it, at worst, it was a draw. It wasn't a win. <laughs> Deepest apologies to Ross Houston, Shinsho Anzai, Paul Giovanni, Giovanni Melillo. My goodness, Richard Keeley, deepest apologies, gentlemen. Paul Paul Daly, I will give Paul, but that was again. That was a weird fight. <laughs> that was a bad about, fight. That was a weird, weird <laughs> that was a fight. Really bad fight. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Paul Daly is a legend. Let me give Paul Daly some credit. Paul Daly is a legend. I love Paul Daly, but that fight was abysmal. Let's be honest. Also, for transparency's so, sake, Damon, you did have Michael Page in your rankings, but he was the lowest of anybody that oh, had okay, him. I'm he sorry. was number thirteen. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember uh, where I put him, but yeah. Yeah, I want to I wanna say, I believe uh, the, the rankings came out today. Today, right? Uh, I mean, Wednesday, as the yeah. show will air. Yeah, so the show that came out today. So uh, last month, Michael, we touched upon this at the beginning of the show, uh, Sean, but uh, just to repeat, Michael Page was tied for 15th with, with Li Jingliang, and in the current rankings will now be number 11. So not quite in the top 10 yet, but that's a huge jump in, in what's, you know, a really traditionally a very difficult division to making moves in, especially when you're not in the UFC. So for him to jump four spots uh, in a close win is pretty crazy. I'm responsible for that. I admit uh, I had page unranked uh, in, in all of our previous rankings. And I, again, like I said, I kind of thought he won the fight uh, and I had Lima super high. I had Lima in the top five. So I kind of had to do some real reshuffling um, if I'm respecting the page win as much as I did. And uh, Lima dropped down page jumped over him, but yeah, he went from, from not ranked in mine to number eight. Um, so for me, Again, maybe I'm too differential, uh, too differential, excuse me, to the, you know, to the official decision. Uh, but it, he did, for me, he kind of did do enough to convince me um, that he deserves to be up there. I do wish his resume was stronger, but I feel like, you know, I've, I've probably been a defender of their matchmaking for him for a long time, as in a lot of this stuff was out of control, had his control. It's uh, some of these guys were late injury replacements. So and that's not being an excuse. It, you know, part, part of going up in the rankings and, and being successful in MA is luck is getting those, you know, getting the right opponents and getting booked. So um, so I might be giving him a little too much credit and being unfair to some guys who I have ranked below him who were able to get those tough fights and won some of them and lost some of them. Uh, but I, I feel comfortable with it. So, I, yeah, I moved him in my top 10. So I went from not ranked to the, the highest, I think, of all of us uh, uh, and, and, MVP. 
Let me apologize real quick. I was looking. I flip. I flip flopped the guys I was talking about. I meant to say I was. I put. I apologize. I put Douglas Lima behind Page because of the fight, but I put Ray Cooper. That was the one I was trying to think of. I put Ray Cooper ahead mm. of Michael Page because right. I thought what Ray Cooper did more recently was more impressive mm-hmm. than Michael Page beating Douglas Lima. I apologize. I was flip flopping the guys I had flipped. I couldn't remember who I flip flopped. It was Ray <laughs> Cooper. So Ray Cooper, I put above Michael Venom Page because I think what he's done more recently with the Rory McDonald fight was more impressive than what Michael Page did. Uh, to Douglas Lima and kind of a snoozer. Either way, I think the conversation that sort of emerges from something like this, right, is really fascinating because, Mike, I, I'm going to admit, I, I was coming on here, I was ready to to blast you to shreds for having Douglas Lima out of the top 15, but you kind of sold me a little bit, right? Like, we haven't seen a real solid even performance from this guy for, for a long time. And if we are going on recency bias and we are going on who's the best right now... I think you could make a case that, you know, a Ray Cooper would beat him or a Daniel Rodriguez or a Sean Brady. I don't know. But the fact that that's even defendable is interesting because I think just a few like a year ago, probably we would a lot of us would have considered Douglas Lima a top five welterweight in the world or maybe even top eight, top seven in that range. So it is it is interesting how quickly it can change, but also a result like this, how nebulous it can be. Last topic. Let's move on. Who is the real pound for pound queen? There has oh. been a, a there has been consistency all across the board on the women's pound for pound list since we have brought these rankings into into existence over the last couple months. Amanda Nunes was the number one. She continues to be the number one. But Valentina Shevchenko's latest dalliance with perfection here has ignited a conversation that I actually don't think I expected. Um, last month, if you look at the rankings, Amanda Nunes got seven out of eight of the number one votes for pound for pound women's number one. Now it's five. She siphoned off two more this month, one away from a tie, just like a Peter Yawn Aljamain situation like we have at Bantamweight. Mike, I hope you feel comfortable with me revealing that you were actually one of those defectors who fled to the Valentina side. Uh, and so I believe that th- the other three of us on this pod have Amanda Nunes still at number one, but AK, you even admitted to me yesterday, you're kind of getting on the fence. You're starting to wobble a little bit on that position. That was off the record, Sean. That was off the record. Hey, transparency <laughs> record. is what we're doing between, on this spot. That was between, that was between you and me. <laughs> And let me say, we well, say we wouldn't name names. The, the, the other person who voted, uh, and if anyone who regularly reads MMA Fighting will know, will know who I'm talking about. The other person who's, who's defected, uh, who's not with, who's not on the show right now. I'm surprised that they hadn't earlier because they are like the number one fan of Valentina Shevchenko. But only now, only after the most recent win, did they did they flip Shevchenko and Nunez. So I'm that a is, surprised. That is a yeah. good point. Yeah, Mike, throw it to you. My question, just why now? Like what, what was sort of the, the last, what was it about UFC 266 that really sold you and pushed you over the fence on this one? Okay. So let, let me tell you my thought process on this because the other gentleman that you spoke of that remains nameless probably could not, if he could caps lock his vote and put Valentina Shevchenko's name in there, he would have put it in there. He probably would have put six exclamation points behind it. Like he was that sure of himself. Me, I was not. I flip flopped many, many times. I wrote both names many, many times. But to me, I thought about the overall body of work over the last couple of years, okay? Like, I understand that Amanda Nunes has two wins over Valentina Shevchenko. I also understand that both those fights were not all that entertaining, so I kind of, like, just knock that out of the conversation right now. I'm looking at the last five to six fights for for both of these ladies. Hold Hold on, on. hold on. We're talking, the whole theme of this conversation has been recency bias and what we've seen with our eyes, okay? So to me, and I think I'm not alone on this, Nunes and Shevchenko are more like 1A, 1B than they are 1-2 in this conversation. And to me, what I've seen over the last... 
couple of years, okay? Looking at Nunez's resume, the Cyborg win is super impressive, and that put her ahead, no doubt about it. Holly Holm win, kind of questionable because Holly Holm didn't deserve to be in a title fight. Let's just be honest, she just didn't deserve to be there. The Duranami win, very good win. Then Felicia Spencer, not, I mean, it's just there. It's a win. That's who you, that you were offered. You beat her. Not that impressive. Megan Anderson, there you go. You did what you were supposed to do against someone who you were like a, a minus 43,000 favorite over. For Shevchenko, I think what got me leaning towards her was in April when she fought Jessica Andrade. I'm like, all right, finally, finally, she's going to get tested. Finally, someone's going to gonna give her a run for her money and give her and work her and, and give her, let her face some adversity. And the performance that she put on against Jessica Andrade at UFC 261, in my opinion, is the most underrated performance of 2021 so far. That was a perfect game. She pitched an absolute perfect a game against someone who a lot of people thought could be the one to beat her. Like they, they actually thought like they thought Shevchenko would struggle in this fight. And she went out there and to quote Jeb Bishu, she put the size nines to her for eight minutes and 19 seconds, did not face one second of danger. Then she goes out and beats Lauren Murphy and she did what the odds told her to do. But Lauren Murphy had also won five fights in a row. She had absolutely deserved her opportunity to fight for a world title. This wasn't a Felicia Spencer. This wasn't a Megan Anderson. This wasn't a Holly Holm. She fought a woman that absolutely deserved to be in that spot. And she Beat the brakes off of her. And Lauren Murphy, if you watch my interview with her, will tell you the exact same thing. It's just a whole different level. And then hearing Lauren just describe what it was like being in there with Valentina and looking into her eyes and moments where she was going to throw a shot, but then looked in Valentina's face and realized, oh no, I can't throw that shot. I'm going to pull that right back. That just like kind of put me over the edge. So oh, in a 1A, 1B conversation, right this second, I feel like Shevchenko is the 1A. Now, if Nunez goes in there and beats Juliana Pena, who I think Pena presents some interesting challenges to her, then she gets the spot right back. It's 1A, 1B. It's just, it's a recency thing. Shevchenko right now squeaks up the top in the A spot. That's all it is. This is no disrespect to Amanda Nunez. I'm not saying if they fought again that Nunez wouldn't beat her again, but we don't really know. So right now, in October, in the year of our Lord, 2021, Valentina Shevchenko is 1A, Amanda Nunez, a very respectable 1B. Do you want me to do you want me to come through on this one? Because I'm about to jump to the speaker on this one. Do it. Uh, do it, David. Okay. Let me let me say this. I love Valentina Shevchenko. I think she's amazing. So anything I say, you know, regarding her resume compared to Amanda Nunez, it's not an insult. It's just the reality of what we're facing. And the reality is the flyweight division is Far less uh, impressive, let's say, uh, than the Bantamweight division. Now, the one win, the biggest win on Valentina's record in recent memory is her Jessica Andrade fight. I agree. That was the one that truly put her in that conversation of saying, wow, she really looks untouchable right now because Jessica Andrade has the resume and the performances to back up to say she should have been a legitimate threat to Amanda Nunes, and she did nothing. I mean, it was just a completely lopsided fight. So that one's big. I love Lauren Murphy. I've interviewed Lauren many times. Lauren's awesome. But Lauren has never been, I mean, until she got to the flyweight division, she had never been that fighter. She had never been that top-ranked kind of fighter, uh, you know, in that in that discussion. And there's a reason why Valentina was a minus, you know, 4,000 favorite or whatever going into that fight, because no one really gave Lauren Murphy much of a chance. Same thing with Jennifer Maya. Same thing with Kaitlyn Chukagian. Same thing with, you know, <laughs> going down the line in terms of, you know, people that Valentina has beaten in recent, in, in recent years. Now, 
I'll give you Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer aren't the most impressive wins on Amanda Nunes's resume, but go just a couple fights beyond that. Jermaine Durandami, former champion. Holly Holm, former champion. Chris Cyborg, arguably one of the greatest women's fighters of all time. Those three wins by themselves, and they were all completely lopsided. Cyborg got assassinated in 51 seconds. Holly Holm got knocked out in four minutes and 10 seconds. And Jermaine Durandami got beat uh, for the better part of all 25 minutes in there. Those three wins alone, not to say Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer don't exist, but those three wins alone trump anything on Valentina's recent resume. There's nothing remotely close to that. Jessica Andrade is the one, but I'd say, okay, let's just cancel her out. Well, let's say Jermaine Durandami because Jermaine Durandami kind of was a a weird UFC champion. She had, you know, one win and then left the division. But Holly Holm has been a legit top three bantamweight pretty much her entire UFC career after she won her first couple of fights and knocked out Ronda Rousey, and she's been there ever since. Chris Cyborg is an all-timer. Chris Cyborg is one of the greatest women mixed martial artists of all time unfortunately and i love valentina she doesn't have that kind of resume she has very impressive wins i'll give you that but this kind of comes down i'm I'm sorry i'm kind of taking a sideways shot at this this kind of comes back to like why i never ranked demetrius johnson as the number one pound for pound fighter in the sport talent wise demetrius was amazing demetrius is talent wise one of the greatest fighters to ever compete in mixed martial arts but I'm sorry, you know, beating uh, Chris Carriazzo, was it Chris Carriazzo and, and beating some of the other guys on his resume, I'm sorry, that just doesn't trump at the time when I argued, like, why John Jones was number one, wow. because I'm sorry, John Jones just had a much better resume overall. And same thing here. Amanda Nunes just has the better resume, the better wins and the more impressive wins. The one big win on Valentina's resume in recent years has been Jessica Andrade. And you could argue maybe the Joanna Yonjacek fight, but even that one is a little, you know, not suspect, but a little weird because Valentina was, or excuse me, uh, Joanna was coming up a division. It was her first fight at 125. Really weren't sure. And we have no, we have no body of work to say Joanna's going to be a great flyweight. Now if she moves there and, and ends up becoming a number one fighter again. Sure. But there's no, there's no proof to Joanna is going to be a killer at flyweight the way she's been a killer at strawweight. So that's a that's a good win. That's an impressive win, but we just don't know. Jessica Andrade is the other one. But come on, Jermaine, Cyborg, and Holly Holm, you're going to tell me those three wins aren't more impressive than one win over Jessica Andrade? I, I don't buy it. I didn't say that, though. I didn't say that. I said that the I gave her credit for the Duranami win. I gave her credit for the Cyborg win. I'm not giving her that much credit for the Holly Holm win when she went into that fight two and four over her last six fights. She didn't deserve to be in that shot. She was there for name value alone, and that's it. Not for merit. Lauren Murphy deserved to be in a title fight more than Holly Holm deserved to be in that title fight, Damon. Like, I understand the name value is there, and it looks nice and shiny on the resume. But again, the whole purpose of this discussion and the whole theme of it all is recency. What have you done lately? And what Valentina Shevchenko has done between 2020 and right now, the wins that she's put together, the performances she had against the fighters that she did them against is better. It's just better. Like Chukagian, Maya, Andraj, and Murphy are better than Spencer and Anderson. They just are. But I mean, there has to be some level of a balance struck, right? Because I understand that recency is, is a big aspect of this, but also... It's not as if Amanda's lost either during this stretch. Like recency can be one thing, but also like legacy and resume still matters if somebody just is undefeated for as long as she's undefeated and having cleaned out the division as much as she's cleaned out. My question is like, Mike, I understand 
your position, but how is this any different from what you were arguing against in the first topic with the with the Alexander Volkanovsky Max Holloway conversation where somebody is up 2-0 and yet you're arguing against it? I don't know. Like, I mean, that was part of the argument, sure. But again, but those fights are recent too. They were much more recent than these Shevchenko fights. They they just were. They're part of the Holloway story. Like Holloway's last three fights feature Alexander Volkanovsky in two of them, and he lost both of them. So if we're talking recency and the theme of this conversation, that's part of the discussion. Right now, Shevchenko and Nunez, how far along were, were this, was that last fight? But isn't, uh, isn't two, the, five years ago? Aren't the Nunez fights part of a big part? Well, four years ago, but aren't they a, a big part of Valentina's story where that's essentially what sent her down to flyweight, right? Like that's sort of what sent her away from the bantamweight division was there's no real road to the title there for her. But there was no 125 at that point either. Very true. They basically built the division for her. In, in, in yeah, essence, but, I mean, but, she wasn't part of the tough season, but neither was Joanna and Jaychis at 115. But to that point, though, that's that's where my problem comes in with this whole thing is the flyweight division, as great as Valentina has been, the flyweight division just isn't great. I mean, anyone that's going to argue with you otherwise is lying. Come on now, guys. Are See, we really going to sit here and say the talent at 125 well, is as deep or as, as talented right now? Now, maybe it will be in a couple of years. It takes time for these divisions to develop. Bantamweight has been around, you know, pretty much forever in terms of the women's divisions, and we have a lot of, of video proof to back up, you know, wins over Misha Tate, how much that means, a win over Ronda Rousey, how much that means, a win over Holly Holm, how much that means, a win over Jermaine Durandami, how much that means. At flyweight, we're saying, well, yeah, Lauren Murphy, and and I'm 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 not trying to single out Lauren Murphy, but I'm using her because she was the last win. Yes, she was on a five fight win streak. Her five wins came against Mara Ramello. Barella, Andrea Lee, who I'm not even sure where she's ranked right now, Roxanne Modafferi, who I absolutely adore, but Roxanne is not a top five. I mean, come on. And then Lilia Shakarova is not even in the UFC anymore. She lost and got bounced out of the organization because she popped hop. And then and then and then Joanne Calderwood, who was always like a top five or six fighter at strawweight, and she's kind of a top five or six fighter at flyweight. Are we going to say those five wins, because they're five in a row, that puts her in the same category as a Holly Holm? Are you kidding me? Two and four, be damned. Don't tell me that. <laughs> those five wins are more impressive than what Holly Holm has done. See, Come on. I don't know. Why don't you I compare think... the featherweight division to the flyweight division? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I yeah, think... Okay, Chris, okay, Chris Cyborg. That's Go all ahead, I got to say. Chris Cyborg, I'm done. Chris Cyborg, right. I'm done. Spencer Anderson, I'm talking about the last two years but that's only one belt of hers where is where is she hasn't fought at Van Wayne two years where is Valentina's win over where is Valentina's win over a fighter of Chris Cyborg's caliber I mean I don't hear I didn't hear anything oh that's because it doesn't exist well well, I mean if you want to talk again that's probably where the Ioana Jacek win would come up right like you said she doesn't have the track record of 125 but she's certainly one of the pound for pound like all-time greatest you know women's fighters of all time and then but we're talking you know, about, we're talking about to, pound yeah. for pound this is not just divisional mm-hmm. rings this is pound for pound when you talk about pound for pound you talk about what they've done throughout their entire career so when you think about amanda nunez going up and and 51 seconds taking out chris cyborg who has never in her career had anyone do that or even remotely mm-hmm. close to that to go out and do that that to me i mean and that's and amanda is not a natural featherweight she isn't anymore she started mm-hmm. her career featherweight she is a natural ba- she is more of a bantamweight fighter. we all know that yes she's cutting yeah. weight but she is not a true featherweight she is not a massive huge featherweight uh 
That, that Chris Cyborg one, yes, I admit, Felicia Spencer and Megan Anderson are not the most oppressive wins in the world. But, I mean, I, I, Jennifer Maya is. Jessica I is. Liz Carmouche at this point is. Caitlin Chukagi. I mean, well, they're, I, all good, they're all good wins, but I'm well, not, they're not established in terms of they've built these resumes where you say, wow, mm-hmm. man, that's a huge win. Jessica Andrade is. I will give her that one. I love that win. That's a big one. But... I just, I just, Lauren and and Jennifer and Caitlin, they're all great. They're all really good fighters, but I don't put them in the same category in terms of pound for pound as Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandami, Chris Cyborg. It's a very top heavy division though, Bantamweight. I mean, I think we can agree Flyweight's probably the deeper division now. I don't think that's, I I would think that's a fair thing to say. I I, I get what Damon is saying that at the top, you know, as you get closer to the top, that the names like GDR, Holly Holm, even, even Aldana, maybe even Pena, way a bit heavier than Andrade, Shukagian, Murphy, and on our list, Juliana Velasquez, Jennifer Maya. But I think it's more comparable than 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 Damon is making it. I do think Flyweight is actually is I do think Flyweight actually is a good division. Um but so 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 my issue for here is because uh, again I'm I'm a Nunez, I do a Nunez number one is Nunez really what's unfortunate for her is she can't like she can't go back and beat Ronda Ronda Rousey again. She can't beat. I mean, she can beat Misha Tate again now, but it wouldn't mean what it meant back then. She can't beat. Uh, what are some other? When I mean, she's, she she's Sarah, honestly, when, she's a victim of her own success in these type is, of yeah, conversations. Right? When she beat Sarah McMahon, that was a big win. That was, that was a long time ago now, but that was a very big win at the time. Um, and Sarah McMahon again, I, I think it was you know a, a top. It was a top bantam weight. Raquel Pennington, I think, was a good win when it happened. And on the fights, not particularly memorable, except for his brutality. And then of course Chris Cyborg, uh, which happened at one forty five. But. Um, so I think, yeah, it is unfortunate that she has she did have to end up fighting, uh, you know, solid but unspectacular fires like Megan Anderson, Felicia Spencer. Um, so th- that's the only thing. She she cleared it. Out. Well, that's what happens when you clear it out. So that's why I can't drop her down because it's not her fault. She can't beat these people again because I, I would take I, if I were to look at their complete UFC resumes, I would take. Uh, like Nunez's, you know, top three, top four wins over Shevchenko's top three, top four wins any day. So again, it does depend how far you want to go back. I think no question. I do think Shevchenko's last three, you know, four fights are maybe a bit stronger than uh, than Nunez's. But I have to include all this, all this, you know, all the past and how dominant Nunez has been. So it, it, there's a very strong argument. And they're only being separated, I think, by two points it's if the I'm not narrowest mistaken. of margins within our internal yeah. scoring right which, now which in, which in pound for pound is crazy it happens a little bit closer in the divisions a pound for pound it's really difficult so somehow in a list with that much you know with that much depth that pound for pound list of that names two points two points separating Nunez Shevchenko and that's okay listen that's, let me let, can I just say one thing I I came into this conversation feeling like I'm probably wrong like I'm probably oh. wrong here okay, okay? But again, I'm just uh, at the beginning when I mentioned like how difficult it it was when it came to that decision, when I finally like when the eyes just kind of lit up and I just hit send, like that's where I was at that moment. Like, all right, Shevchenko. And this is like, this is not a one, two, this is not a one to three. This is like, this is like by Milla points, like Milla numbers that I have Shevchenko leaned up. Nunez goes out there and just beats Juliana Pena in any way possible. She's the number one pound for pound women's fighter in the world that she will be number one. Okay. That, that, that's where I'm at. Just like right this second, like Shevchenko is like an in, like just a, a milli inch ahead of her. But if Nunez beats Pena, she is the clear number one. Like there's no, there will be no waiting back and forth for me. She goes back to Bantamweight. She beats Juliana Pena in December. She's the clear number one in my mind. That's where I'm at right now. And 
I'm just sticking with it. That's all. And I'm probably wrong. And I'm probably, a lot of people probably going to agree with what Damon said. And you know what? I almost agreed with what with Damon said overall. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's just where I'm at. Like it's 1A, 1B. Shevchenko is like a nose ahead, but with a win over uh, Juliana Pena, which Damon's talking about resume and bigger names. I feel like even though Pena is not ranked as high, I feel like her name carries a little more weight than Jennifer Maya and Lauren Murphy does. So that puts her one by herself. And, and, and also, and, and, and let me and to, ahead, to AK's point real quick. AK brought up, you know, of course, the when you talk about like Amanda Nunes is kind of a victim of her own success. So is Shev- who is Shevchenko going to fight now? Probably like, who is left well, out there? Like who is who? The winner was Calderwood, and who's who's Calderwood fighting coming up? Grasso. Like, yeah, Grasso has looked good, uh, but if Grasso beats her, are we gonna. I mean, it, she's still going to be a minus five thousand favorite. Like who is left for Shevchenko to beat? Well, that's it's the, the thing, next right? generation. Well, not even that, right? It's it's the trilogy, right? Like that that seems to be where this yes, is leading we because it. we've reached a really unusual place with these two women. Where Mike, you're kind of right. Where it's basically whoever had the most recent win is going to be higher in a lot of people's eyes. And it's a very I don't I can't think of many comparisons in MMA history where we've had two fighters this dominant and this equal going at each other, or not going at each other, but sort of within the range of each other, right? Like GSP Anderson, you can sort of point to that, but it's it's very uncommon where you get two levels of dominance, this equal and sort of within reach of each other. So it, it does feel as if something's changed within Valentina Shevchenko after this last win. We, For years, we've been asking her about this Amanda Nunes fight, and, and both of them have just sort of shrugged it off as something that neither of them want. And now, if you saw her on the MMA hour after that win, she seems to want it, and she seems <laughs> yeah. to be motivated for it, and I'm here for it, because that really feels like the only thing that will ultimately answer this this question that we've been asking uh, within with just internally within the sport for the past couple of years is, is who's the better woman? That trilogy fight right now feels like the perfect time, the perfect moment, the perfect set of circumstances to actually figure that out. Agreed. <clears throat> I agree. It. All right. Well, hey. You brought peace back to the family, Sean, I feel. <laughs> We got to end it on a high note, right? We're all family here. We love each other. We got to end it amicably. But that's what happens on this show. Things get heated sometimes. You just, sometimes you just got to yell at family, you know? Shake some sense into them. Anyway, that has been it for us on the MMA Fighting Ranking Show this month. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, we really do appreciate you. Same time next month, first Wednesday. Looking forward to it with all you. In the meantime, that man is Alexander K. Lee for Mike, for Damon. Keep it locked to MMA Fighting. We love you guys. Have a great rest of October, and we'll see you soon. Love you, Damon. (laughs) Spicy. Spicy. I love it. I love it. I love it. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.